0: Hi, this is Gene McNaughton and welcome to the Sales Edge podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the B2B Sales Edge. We have another amazing episode for you today. As a reminder, If you get enjoyment out of this episode, if you learn something from this episode, make sure you listen to the other ones. I've got some of the most amazing talent lineup on my podcast and I'm bringing them to you so they can teach you different angles and different ideas, different insights to help you be even better than you are right now. Whether you're in sales, marketing, management, as you know, there's always another level. Today, I've got an awesome longtime friend and amazing soul in Doug Brown. And if you don't know Doug, make sure and check out his his website at businesssuccessfactors.com. A little bit about Doug is he's the CEO of Business Success Factors, and he's been working for his family business since the age of three. So I'd like to hear what you were doing there, Doug. And since that time, he's built over 35 companies. He's got three college degrees and is looked at as one of America's number one experts in revenue expansion and sales optimization. And you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if those two subject matters weren't of huge importance to you. So let's get rolling. Doug, how are you doing, my friend? Good to talk to you again.
1: Gene, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. I appreciate you having me here.
0: I still remember the day back in 2007 when I had met the legendary Chet Holmes and he had a national training event in uh, Las Vegas at the New York, New York. And I remember walking in and, you know, everybody in that room that was recruited by Chet, they were, everybody had their swagger. I mean, there were no B or C players. It was all A players in there. And that's where I met you. you. Remember that in the New York, New York?
1: I do. I do remember meeting in Las Vegas.
0: I mean, there's, think about who was in there. Andy Miller, Tom Schaff, Brian Moses. I mean, some of the biggest names today in their fields. We were all in that training program listening to the legendary Chet Holmes. And I mean, Doug, let's talk about Chet a little bit. Let's just kick this off here. And we can get back into your bio, but what's your favorite memory of Chet Holmes?
1: Oh, there's so many of them, but uh, I think a couple of them were that, you know, Chet was always this guy, as you know, Gene, that was uh, just a hard charger, right? And he was a a decisive guy. And a lot of times I used to challenge him on his decisions and he didn't care for it at all. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember we were sitting in Florida, he and I were doing a consulting uh, project together and I was sitting in in Florida and I was uh, talking to him and I said, Chet, you know, I think we could, you know, do this in the company and do that in the company. And I said, Chet, this is broken, and that's broken, and this is broken, and he got so frustrated. He said, all you do is give me problems. I want solutions, and he gets up, and he leaves the t- he leaves dinner, right, and he walks away, and that was kind of my relationship with Chet. I, you know, what I would do um, with him is I would, I would always constantly challenge him, and then I'd act stupid. Like, I would challenge him, challenge him, challenge him, and I'd be like, well, uh, okay, Chet, what, what would you do? And you know how brilliant the guy was. And he just now would spew out all this brilliance and I would just take it all in. (laughs) So that was, it was one of my favorite things to do with Chet. And, uh, but I think my most famous, uh, I think we were all in Vegas the second time. And I remember Chet came in and he came up and gave me a big hug. And he said, it's really good to to see you. I've missed you, you know, because we hadn't seen each other in a while. So he's a great guy. I mean, and then I guess the other one would be uh, I had dinner with him, his wife, and my family and Chet was actually uh, playing uh, quarter games, you know, with my kids, teaching them how to flip numbers in their head when they were little. So
0: that's the kind of, of guy he was. Yeah. And, you know, if you're listening to this right now, or you're, you're new to the work here on the B2B sales edge, you know, Chet Holmes is probably one of the best mentors I've had a chance to be around personally, him and Tony Robbins, John Asser, would rank up there. But he wrote a book called The Ultimate Sales Machine that I think for any avid reader that's in the sales and marketing and management profession, most who have read this book would say it's in their top five books they've ever read. And that was written in 2007. And it's it's still a bestseller today. I mean, how does that happen, Doug?
1: Well, yeah, no, especially since he's been gone for, you know, all these years, right? Um, he's passed on, but it it happens because it's it's timeless information and it's a great book and people read it and they pass it from one person to another person. You know, what Chet used to always talk about, um, remember him talking about tribal training, right? You know, passed down from man to man to woman to woman through, through yep. time. His book's doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah. no kidding. And, and that was like, Here's what you and I can both honestly say, Doug. Chet legitimately built a multi-million-dollar coaching and consulting business. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people in this space that talk a big game and they've done all these great things. And I know, just like most people listening know that you know they're it's hyperbole; they're exaggerating what the reality of their situation is. But you and I were both there. I mean, you were the the president of sales and training for seven years with Chet. I mean, that's pretty amazing. And he built, I mean, I know the consulting business itself in just the, the by the third year we were doing seven, eight, nine million dollars in revenue. That's legit. And coaching was three times that.
1: Yeah, we were about at the height, I think we were about 27
0: million. I mean, it's amazing if you really think about it. And that was with DVDs, that's with no uh paid spend, no real he did chet never really got a chance to experience social media, you know, Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, paid ad spend—I mean, he did everything. Uh, most of his lead gen was through radio. Remember that, Doug? Totally, I would help. If you're a business owner and you want to double your sales, call us and get our free report. Leave us a voicemail with your email. Remember those days?
1: I remember them well. I still look at the—I re- still look at the reports every once in a while and and still uh, go over the uh, the uh, actually the radio ads because when you know when Chip got sick, I started writing the radio ads, you know, uh, for the company. So he was, uh, I learned how to write r- radio ads from him. And he was one of the best, in, in my opinion. <laughs>
0: 186 words, right? In one minute. I think that was what he told me. It's got to be 186 words, Gene, because we would write ads for our clients. Then remember, this is pre, you know, the world we live in now, we're going back to 2007, eight and nine. But what are some of your favorite lessons you learned from Chet Holmes? And I want to talk about what you're doing, Doug, but, you know, it's kind of a, it was Chet's birthday recently, and I've been thinking about him a lot and it's good to talk to another brother that spent, you know, real time with the legend and the master Chet Holmes.
1: Yeah. I learned, you know, one of the things I learned, I mean, Chet used to call this pig headed discipline and determination, but it really was, are you going to see it through no matter what? And (laughs) I remember him coming up to me, Gene, and, you know, I was running all the trainers, all the presenters, the sales team. And I remember him coming up to me several times saying, Doug, I'm going to shift the direction a bit on this. I need a whole new web training uh, for this. Uh, Can you get it done? And I'd be like, okay, Chet, when do you want it? He goes by Monday. And I'm like, Chet, (laughs) it's eight o'clock at night on a Friday evening. (laughs) You want me to write a complete training program in two days he's like yeah let's get it done right and that's what his attitude was like on everything <laughs> and that's why you know uh, once in a while i would i would just play with him you know i'd aggravate him like i did in florida <laughs> because he uh you know he, he just he, when chet was challenged i don't know if you recall this gene but when he's challenged on an emotional level his brilliance comes out so what I would do is I'd be like, Chad, how are we going to do this? You know, how am I going to get this done? He goes, oh, it's so easy. You know, you just do this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and that, right? And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks, Chad, right? I, I, and I wasn't doing this to, to uh, you know, pander to him. I was doing this because he was so brilliant at certain things that if you could get him to start rattling those things off, it just made life a lot easier, <laughs> right so i would get them done i'd get the i'd get the whole training program done within two days for him
0: he 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 used to say the harder it gets gene the tougher i get yep the harder it gets the more determined i get bring me the you know and i think that's what made him brilliant was and he talks about pig-headed discipline in the book and You know think of all just in our little genre doug ted miller and stephanie miller and Mm -hmm. the shops the moses uh, andy miller everybody's going on to build very successful companies on their own all of us trained under this one person which you know a testament to because we talk about brilliance and whoever's listening right now maybe you've never heard of chet holmes get on youtube and and look him up and watch some of the videos that are on there it's just he was an outlier as it related to sales process, marketing, creativity, discipline, metrics, numbers. And you know, I had spent 16 years of my career being in a company, working for a company and working my way through the ranks and so forth. And he's the one that taught me how to be a good consultant. He yeah. said, Dean, you're a professional hole spotter. Your job is to go find everything wrong <laughs> and show it to them and then show them how to fix it. But even though, you know, Doug, even in those days, you and Ted Miller were doing uh, millions of dollars of sales through webinars.
1: Oh, yeah. In, yeah. in an
0: era where webinars were brand new. Like, what is this thing? We can bring everybody together and you can see a screen. Like, talk about those days. Like, now it's normal. But, in you know, 12 years ago, that was like breakthrough stuff.
1: Well, it was. I mean, we didn't even have video right so there, there was no video back then there were no video conferencing platforms that would handle that at that point so we used to do these via telephone and we'd coordinate you know sometimes we'd get thousands of leads that would come in on a weekly basis and we were driving them in at the at the height of what we were doing uh, we were doing i was doing 37 webinars a week with the team
0: that's crazy yeah well, in addition to that now by the way audience needs to know this these were paid webinars
1: Two hundred and twenty nine to two hundred and ninety nine dollars.
0: I remember that. And it, and, it, and it had a great risk reversal. And this is a great lesson for everybody to learn is you've always got to have a risk reversal it said if you get to the end of the call or the end of the meeting and you haven't gotten ten times your value, we'll give you a phone number to call. You get all your money refunded. So there was you know, you have nothing to gain and everything, everything to gain and nothing to lose. And that mo- and then that would that 299 would then sell into a $4,000 DVD program with coaching mm-hmm. and then depending on the, the the client some of them wanted individualized attention so they would get extended coaching sessions and the bigger companies would come into you know my side of the field that would get consulting where we'd go in and do it for them like he and he built all this stuff he invented this stuff
1: right from the beginning up and he self-financed it too so it was It was, you know, quite the accomplishment, and he was a a great driver, and he did one thing which I think is really successful for any company, which is he hired the best producers he could find, uh, gave them a chance anyways, because we all worked on, you know, 1099 commission, um, brought the best producers in he could, then let them go. He turned them loose within a framework. Because, you know, everybody there was a maverick pretty much that was doing well. And then he would pay extremely well and he would feed the strong and the weak would go away. I think it's it was a very uh, six, high success principle for us in the company.
0: <laughs> yeah, you were either doing extremely well or you weren't there. I mean, yeah, that's pretty yeah. much how it turned out, right?
1: Yeah, it it because it's an A player company, right? It was an A player, what I would consider an A player type company and you know, so the A players stay in an A player type company and the you know, the Bs can hang around but the Cs and Ds are gone. They just don't last. And um you know, we had high accountability and we had uh, I would say just like a sporting team, you know, it was a it was a we, not only accountability but we we held each other to a higher standard,
0: <laughs> there was so much male and female testosterone in those training rooms, like everybody <laughs> thought they were the best. Well, but you think about it, think about how much, I don't know about you, but my game got so much better because suddenly I wasn't uh, the main speaker in the room as I, like in a company that I had worked at for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Right. And I knew everything about the company. I knew the company's story. I had just saw this swagger. Now I'm in rooms with you and you know, Andy Miller and Ted Miller and you know, Sha, Moses. I mean, the list goes on and on. Neil Tricarico and everybody's good. Everybody's got a big bio. Everybody wants the premier clients. I mean, it just makes us all better, right?
1: Yeah. And that's why we were pulling down all these clients that were either going into consulting or coaching. I mean, we were, I mean, we had a f- I got it to be dialed in on the front end. I mean, we had a 43.2% conversion rate on webinars consistent for multiples of years.
0: Yeah. And I, I got to add audience, they were selling through a webinar, a $4,000 DVD program. I mean, that, that's, and it was a great program. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, that that's a big jump. And a, what'd it's, you say? 43% conversion on those webinars.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's where we got it to. And it it remained consistent over the years. So, you know, it was, you know, we dialed things in, you guys dialed it in on the consulting side, you know, I mean, the speaking side, I watched you as you were going through this whole process. So that was pretty gratifying. And, you know, going to these big 5000 plus events, you know, person events, seeing you up on stage. So it was It was really, you know, a a great place to be. It was a great learning experience. And it, it was just a community that was, you know, it, people talk about building a community within their company, but, you know, we did, and it wasn't one person within the company that wasn't accessible and, um, or helpful.
0: It's a, it's a great example of, you know, all the sages say, you know, you want to do better, raise your peer group. You become, you know, like the five people you're around the most, and and that is an exact situation where I think we all got better. And the testament that you know, I, I see you have Andy Miller on your blog. I still talk to Ted and Shop and Moses. Like there was friendships that you know, I love watching all you everybody be successful, and it drives me to like, oh my gosh, I got to take my game up. I got to get something else done. But Doug, like for you, like you had how many years in the military in the army?
1: Uh, I did 12 years,
0: seven days. <laughs> 12 years, seven days, to be exact. <laughs> and then you go on to join Chet Holmes. You're the president of sales and training. You were president and co-owner of Telcom Auditing Group. You started your company, Business Success Factors. Now you're billed as a sales revenue growth expert. T- talk about like who you serve today and what you do.
1: Well, I still serve you know uh, some of the larger clients that you know, most consultants would, you know, like to have, right. The the ones that you used to land all the time. Um, But what I've really decided was because we've worked with so many of these large companies, what, what I, what I got Gene was there are about 10 aspects to growing revenue. And I remember Chet used to have 12 concepts to double sales. So, but I, as I looked at things, I could bring them all, I could bring his concepts and other concepts into about 10 facets And we used to use a lot of these, uh, you know. uh, For example, in you know communications, like you know, you were a master at going in and reframing people's, you know, communications, internal, external communications, as well as uh, you know, uh, managing by the numbers and really, really holding high accountability, which is what I think in in part made you a great consultant. So I, I still like to work with companies like that. But what I realized is these 10 facets, actually the difference between a very large company and a mid-sized company or small sized company is not the fact that whether these will apply or not. It universally applies across the board, but it's whether they have a budget to be able to sustain <laughs> the growth within that facet. So what I did was I decided to come into the mid-market and work with some of the mid-market and small Uh, smaller businesses and develop training programs on and around those. So I handle that through training and coaching. And then I still do consulting for the larger entities, usually the companies that are, you know, 50 million and up and a minimum of 10 salespeople and up.
0: Now, we all know the one axiom that says that nothing really happens till something gets sold. Mm -hmm. And I've read your stuff and I want you to share with the audience who may not be familiar with you yet. Like, what are some of your top rules for selling?
1: Uh, Be truthful. Number one, (laughs) right. Number two, play win-win. And number three, you know, which I learned from Chet was if you strongly believe in what you're doing, that it'll better off somebody's life. And no matter if they're receptive or fearful, it's our moral obligation to actually see it through. And if you have to go 22 verbal rounds with them so they see the light, so be it, as long as you stay in high rapport, and that's playing win-win. So, you know, those are the three that I live by, you know, be very truthful. Um, And then I guess the fourth one would be, you know, learn how to actively communicate with one another. Because a lot of people who are in sales, they 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 listen passively and they use passive type language. And what ends up happening is it, it doesn't enrich the relationship to build that trust out. Active, uh, you know, proactive, active conversation will do that.
0: Unpack that a little bit more. So we we have a lot of people listening that are in their first two, three years of selling. Yeah. And many of the audience where they got their their job out of college they're working for a good company the company gives them a little bit of company training and it varies by company as you know some do a great job some don't do any at all and all sorts in the middle and they get put in their territory and they the company says go get them yep (laughs) and when you talk about like communication basics and this is all in your book win-win selling that's on amazon but just just unpack it a little bit give us some of your gold
1: well so there's there's active constructive passive constructive there's active destructive and passive destructive language so if we take let's say somebody got a a, a job promotion right so if it's active constructive and let's say that somebody recognizes they get they got promoted they go up to the person they go you know Jerry you were I knew you were going to get this position. And I knew you were going to get this position because, you know, you've been working your tail off around here and I've watched you over the years really do this. And I understand that you were responsible for this project and that project. And you took the company to these next levels. And, you know, on top of that, you're just a really great guy. That's active, constructive communication.
0: Okay. I like that. I'd feel good if you said that to me.
1: Yeah. Active, passive, like I, I should say active, um, or passive constructive would be something like you know hey jerry you uh uh i i see you got the job promotion uh you deserved it right so it won't feel as uh good usually to the receiver and you know destructive communication if it's active it'll be hey jerry you know um I I really, I really think you, you know, you, you you do deserve the promotion and, you know, it's about time we promoted a guy your age here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that would, that, that would be HR. That'd be the the alley to (laughs) HR.
1: And, you know, passive destructive would be something like, you know, uh, you know, Jerry heard you got promoted. Good for you.
0: (laughs) You really think you deserved it, Jerry?
1: Exactly. That would be that would be the, the 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 tail end of it. Right. So, you know, or, you know, there's there's so always stay in the active constructive uh, zone as much as possible, you know, or at least toggle between the active constructive and the passive constructive always stay out of the destructive side of communication because it doesn't serve anybody. It really
0: it does. Do. You know, I'm, I'm playing back our, 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 what we were just talking about. And you were like, yeah, Gene, I watched you work your way on stage. And I watched you get better. And better. I felt so good about myself. And now I realize that you were it was active, constructive feedback. Yes. Like, like I had more energy in my body when you were saying those things. And I was trying to be, you know, um, humble about it. But I'm like, that is so cool. Like, I felt so good when you said that
1: yeah and and it's truthful too right so remember i said number 1 be truthful if um if i didn't feel that or recognize that about you i wouldn't have said that but it's truthful i mean i watched you up on stage and i watched people's reactions and i watched how you moved them emotionally and got them to take action where they were in a fear state and you know they you moved them from fear to faith just through what you were saying and how you walked on stage and the command that you had So it's, it's just truthful, truthful stuff, you know, and, um, but using active, constructive communication, a person will always feel like you have their best interest in mind and nothing else is going to build greater rapport than, than something like that with people.
0: So Doug, here's a question. You meet a hundred people I and mean, you meet thousands of salespeople, managers, marketers every year. Now, now you do it virtually, but prior to COVID, you were out in companies, you were, you know, a speaker on stage where you you know, can talk to a hundred or 200 or thousands of people at one time. What percent of people do you meet that actively study language patterns and communication? Oof.
1: I'm going to take a guess at this and say maybe 1%, maybe.
0: <laughs> I agree with that. And, and here's what I find is most people are using skill sets that they've just picked up along the way. Sure. They learned something from a teacher, a coach, a parent, uh, uncle, aunt, friend. And, and most people, this is the same thing with sales process. They, they take a little bit here and a little bit there, and it may be right, it may be wrong, but they, they begin to neurowire wire themselves as, this is the way I do it. and But they can't explain why they're not getting the level of results that they want. Communication and language pattern is the same way, only it's reflected in your friendships. It's reflected in your relationships. It's reflected in your income. Definitely, I think.
1: I, without, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you know be, because you know tony tony i remember you know him always saying you know the quality of your life is determined by by the quality of your relationships but i've also heard him say the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your communication and so i put the two together the quality of your your life is determined by the relationships the quality of that and the quality of communication you have within those relationships and
0: yeah you, you bring to consciousness, like what you just said about communication and I'm reflecting going, gosh, it's like, you know, Chet used to say this repetition, 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 repetition. And you know, what you were saying, I'm like, I've heard that before. And then I was finding myself drifting going, man, I need to get this front of mind because it's easy to fall back on bad habit.
1: Oh, without question, because we're, we're neurologically wired that way, right? We start when we're young. We're, we're conditioned by mom, dad, preacher, teacher, you know, brother, sister, whatever, on how we're supposed to think. And so we fall in line with that based on the level of acceptance we want with the people that we want love from. And so as we go along in life, you know, our bodies might get bigger, but sometimes our minds don't develop <laughs> anywhere past that, those roots. And so what ends up happening is people get on habitual behavior and they'll condition themselves. And they condition themselves to go through a, an emotional response. And so they carry those all the way into their adulthood. And they don't realize it's there because it's a habit. And so what ends up happening is they've conditioned themselves so much to act that way that when they get a stimuli or a stimulus, that they immediately go back into that pattern, that pattern they learned even as a template of love. Um, you know, because, I mean, Gene, there'll be people who say, you know, my father was an alcoholic. My mother was an alcoholic. I'll never, ever marry an alcoholic. And then they marry an alcoholic. Right? So when somebody comes forward or a drug user or, you know, whatever, a gambler or whatever it might be, and what ends up happening is they don't realize that they learned a template early on in their life, which they identified with, bad or good, identified that is something that means I'm accepted, I'm loved. So they carry it all the way in through their old adulthood. And this is how objections form. Objections form because someone is uncomfortable. There's a discomfort, which is all rooted in fear. And so instead of them understanding it in a intellectual way and being able to, you know, uh, say what's on their mind, they come out with this emotional response and that's part of the pattern that they've run through their whole life. And so a lot of times when one hears a, a response like that as an objection, what I always teach people to do is, you know, take a breath, just breathe, take a moment, think, ask the questions. And Chet used to say questions like this all the time, you know, or Tony, you know, what are, what are maybe the three to five ways uh, that this person came about thinking what they just thought to come right. up with that response? And that will start to interrupt the automatic pattern on our side to want to overcome it. But that's, you know, this is, it's so key what you said. And that, you know, communication is absolutely a must. And if we don't continue to grow in our communication, grow in our skills, as you were saying, then we rely on old technology. You know, their Vic Trollers still work, <laughs> but <laughs> Steam engines still work. Carburetors on vehicles still work, but we don't have that any longer, as a standard. So if we don't upgrade our own standards, we're going to fall behind, and that's what happens in sales. They rely on the same skill sets that were taught back in 1960, 1970, but there was no internet back then. There was, you know, the the internet leveled the playing field, right? It it allowed people to find out more information than actually the seller about what they're going to buy. Yeah. And so that change of information flow has really given the buyer the upper hand. But before, you know, I mean, I I don't, Gene, we're similar age. So you remember when you were trying to shop for your first car, how many car dealers were there in your local neighborhood, you know, in your local city. Right. Um, you know, I had three of them, Chevy, Ford, and I think it was a uh, a Chrysler dealership as well, right? And that was it, unless I wanted to drive 50 or 100 miles. And I'd walk into the car dealership, and I'd be like, I'm looking for a new vehicle. They had all the information. They knew everything. They knew everything that was needed to know. And so they could use and play games. And I'm not against car salespeople. There's a lot of great ethical ones. But what I realized Once the internet came along you know, I can go up and I can click a Carfax and I can click this and I can find out what the base cost of that vehicle is that was delivered to their door before I even go there. And I'll know all the safety ratings. I'll know everything. So people come now more educated in the buying process than they ever have before. So they want help and active constructive communication is the way to build rapport, to elicit those responses so that we can sell them on value versus just commoditized price or service.
0: I was reading some data and it said that, I can't remember, it might've been from the Rain group that said that most people are already 60% down their buying process before they'll even talk to a seller today mm. because of what you just said. We, you know, we, can, we can do all of our research in advance. And so, so with that said, I want to carry on this language pattern piece. And I was noticing the sub-headline of your book, Win-Win Selling. And the sub-headline says this: unlocking your power for profitability, or excuse, excuse me, unlocking your power for profitability by resolving objections. And I've never heard the word resolve. I've heard handle, conquer, uh you use the word resolve objections. Why that word?
1: Well, you know the other one is crush, right? You hear crush that objection, crush like, them, you know? yeah. <laughs> right? um, because resolving an objection is playing win-win. Overcoming it, crushing it is playing win-lose. Somebody's going to lose when you're crushing them. And what I realized is that nobody that I know of, including, you know, including Chet, right? Cause that's why I used to aggravate him every once in a while, just on, on purpose um, because we had that relationship. He would do the same to me too, Gene. Um, but, you know, no one likes to feel that they're in a position of vulnerability and an objection is really a response saying, I have some discomfort. I have some fear around something. And so this is where I learned, because when I first started looking at books on objection, I really couldn't find anything. I was like, you know, there, there were parts of chapters of, of books, but nothing taught about the psychology, the philosophy of, of, of it that I could find. And so, you know, re- resolving it is handling the human component in addition to the business agenda overcoming or crushing it is trying to close a sale to handle the business agenda but behind every corporate agenda is a personal agenda <laughs> and that's so, uh, so good and that's why i that's why i said resolving objections because when we resolve it we help them you know what, what was that Movie feel the dreams you know help their resolve their pain or something you know heal their pain or heal his pain or something like that for the father, um, but it's about really taking in the, the the human aspect of this and helping to empower somebody to make a decision by helping them cross the barrier of that discomfort and taking the fear down and building up the buying confidence. And allowing them to do it themselves. And you do that through questioning, but you got to, you got to, there's a process to it. Right. And so I outlined it in the book. And so it doesn't matter what objection it is. You know, a lot of people will teach people to, you know, just immediately parrot back. Right. You know, your price is too high. Did I just hear you say the price was too high and they have that kind of tone.
0: Right. right? (laughs) What do you mean it's too high? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Right. So. What are they going to do on the other side? They're going to justify what they said because they're already in fear. So they're going to dig in even more Most in most cases. Unless you have extremely high rapport with this person where they really trust you, they're going to dig in. And so what ends up happening is it now becomes in their mind, okay, this salesperson is now disrespecting and aggravating me and driving more fear into me, even if they don't intellectually understand it, they feel it. And so as that escalates, what ends up happening is it doesn't even become about the objection anymore. It becomes about a metaphorical armlock between two people trying to win, but they're not playing win-win they're playing win-loss. So, cause the buyer's afraid the seller wants to sell. <laughs> and so there's, there's a problem there. And so what I teach people is to to do the opposite. Instead of going after it, breathe and back up, open it up and have a discussion and find what I call the real it. What is the real reason for the objection? And you do that through questioning and using a lot of active, constructive communication.
0: You do such a good job of of analyzing that and dissecting that in your book. And it's, I highly recommend the book and and it's, is it really $0 on Kindle? It's free to download.
1: Yeah, you can get it Kindle free. And I actually, uh, cause I knew I was coming on your podcast. So I actually dropped the ebook down to 99 cents on Amazon <laughs> if uh, for your audience. So if uh, they want to pick it up for 99 cents instead of, you know, the normal 15 95 or whatever it is. Yeah, that's
0: that's a good deal because your paperback is 24.75. Yes. And if somebody's Kindle or e-reading, then, you know, it's there's if anybody's ever written a book, you know, that a bulk of the expense, the cost is the the actual paper and the printing and the shipping and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, the you should know by now as a listener that the only road to growth is new information and new disciplines. You're not going to change your result without changing habits, patterns, activity, and behavior. And, you know, I'm a huge, you know, I'm a product of reading books through my career. Started with Think and Grow Rich and then How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. And then it got to Tom Hopkins and Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn. And, you know, I found the more that I read and worked on myself at night. And These are the days, Doug, you remember of the cassette tapes in the boombox. yes. But the more I did that in my own time, the the better I showed up selling computers on the phone or eventually becoming a manager or a trainer or a division leader. And people say, how did you get from, you know, working the night shift to being the director of the, you know, 400 person division? I'm like, I'll let you use my books. I read the books. I did what the book said. And, you know, that those are the big names. And And if there is you know, ever any chance to listen to a bootleg tape of somebody that spoke on sales, I'd listen to it. They weren't all great. But sometimes you might listen for an hour and get one nugget that changes your entire direction. Because it challenged a philosophy, it, it gave you a new, new idea, and it set you on the path of a new direction. And I got like 10 of those out of your book, Doug. So thank you.
1: Oh, you're welcome. And, and I think you bring up and I love what you said, New info new disciplines right that's yeah
0: like- i mean wh- wh- how is somebody going to get you know you can get incrementally better through repetition this is my belief yeah you're selling the same products and services or your cross sells upsells longer contracts whatever through repetition you can get marginally better every year through Personal development, learning on your own, listening to podcasts like this, right? My I, I I hope you believe this is a great podcast. There's a lot of great ones out there. And you'd be surprised what you can pick up in your 10-minute drive to the grocery store or you know, 30-minute walk in the morning, or doing laundry, or mowing the lawn, or shoveling the snow, which some people are doing, and you can get, you know, nuggets from people that have done what it is you want to do. And you find anybody who does that accelerates at the greatest speed. Geometric speed as Chet or Tony or Jay Abraham would call it. Mm-hmm. And your book has been one of those game changers for me. That's why I wanted to get you on this podcast.
1: Well, I really appreciate it. And I think what you said, you know, for those people who are methodical, run the numbers, you get 1% better each day. A couple of months, you're twice as good.
0: <laughs> it's, so <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> like like the, 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 the power of optimization and in, in if you're a company leader, this is important to you. And if you're in sales or marketing, this is important to you. There's always about you know six to eight measurable components of what gets done. Like a traditional sales cycle, a, a lead shows up, maybe that lead was generated by marketing online in the old days, a trade show, referral, a lead shows up, then you know, step number two is how many of those leads turn into meetings. Step three, how many meetings turn into proposals, for example, step four, how many of those proposals turn into sales. Step five is um, what is the average sales price or average lifetime value. And if you've got those 5678 key areas, you can measure then you can go to work on each of those areas individually and just say, how can I get 5% better at lead generation? And how can I get 5% better at lead generation to meeting conversion? How can I get 5% better at taking a meeting to whatever you have to do to get to a proposal and a proposal to a conversion? But those little 3 to 5% increments over eight data points over time that's where geometric growth comes from. We learned that from uh, optimization expert, Scott Hallman, right?
1: You're right, right.
0: That's who I got to get on this podcast is Hallman.
1: He's a, he's a smart dude. <laughs>
0: so yeah, but I never, I never would have thought about business that way had I net met, not met Scott Hallman through chat.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: able to lay out geometric growth and show me how it really worked. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Because five percent across the board doesn't increase five percent of your oh. bottom line. It it they all stack on each other.
1: Yeah, and in, in measuring those metrics tells a story when you measure all those metrics. And I used to watch you do this. Uh, you would do this with large clients, and it was uh, it was genius. And you can spot patterns. You can spot things that are. You know, so you get geometric growth going on by those, but the measurements, which I I think, you know, I actually picked up from you uh, early on was this is what I did and I took it and I applied it to Chet's company. So I would measure every little metric going, you know, and then I would spot patterns and, you know, like I realized one day when I took over the sales division, it was like, man, you know, we've got all these great salespeople, but we have a lack of follow-up and we can improve upon that. And so we did. And so, you know, we had past dormant clients because we were generating so many leads that some of them just fell through the cracks. And so when I got there, what do we do? We, we went back through all the past leads. We brought all our new reps in and we said, listen, you've got to sell at least five of these leads that are two years old before you get on the phone.
0: I remember those days.
1: Yeah. And so it's, you know, that that measurement and that optimization component with what you had referenced with Scott and the geometric growth of each one of those is really key to, you know, increasing sales revenue growth.
0: That's solid gold. Hey, Doug, last question. And then I want to talk about how people can get to you, your book, your blogs, all that stuff. What holds people back from truly becoming sales superstars?
1: Oh, the one thing or the multiple things?
0: Well, it, uh, just just what comes to mind when I ask that question?
1: Understanding their true endpoint, right? Because dedication, like you were saying, you know, getting better each and every day. Um, you know, I didn't start out as the best salesperson in the world. In fact, I would say I was average. And then the first thing that I learned was prospect. And what I learned is if I can be better at prospecting, then I can have more leads coming in and I should sell more. But what I didn't realize, which I realized today, Gene, is the master prospector almost always outsells the master closer.
0: Ooh, interesting.
1: Yeah. And, and so I took that to heart and, uh, and I think, know I had motivation to figure it out. I was determined. I knew what my end goal was. I wanted to do this for my kids. You know, they were just babies at the time. And I looked at their life and looked at how I grew up and I said they're not going to grow up like I did. They're not going to, you know, because we struggled. We were a lower I'd say lower middle class family. Um and so we struggled financially and I wanted to have my kids be able to take them on vacations and you know go to the Paris and knock on the Eiffel Tower together and not learn it from a book or, you know, be able to send them to private school or whatever. So I had this high understanding of of a truthful outcome, which gave me the desire and also the action behind the desire. And so I think that's the first thing that I would tell people who are selling. It's like, get really clear and and just like truthful, not honest. Honest is subjective, truthful. You can measure this at the end of the year. Did you actually show up and do what you were supposed to do or not? And, you know, to me, that and the, the desire to win comes from that. Um, and so I would say that would be the number one thing that I would I would identify. I'm curious, what, what, what would you identify?
0: Well, I, I went broader. My mind went to mindset, like study the mindset of success. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's so many great people out there that you can study, you know, find one that resonates with you. It could be Tony Robbins, you know, arguably the greatest that ever lived. It could be some of the sages of the past, Napoleon Hill and Dale Carnegie. It could be um, modern people like Brendan Burchard. Uh, Some people love Grant Cardone, but all of them will say that, you know, Tony Robbins says it best success is 80% psychology, 20% skill. And those people that study today mostly study the skill, which is great because you're going to get better if you study the skill. But the broad growth comes from thinking big, dreaming big, setting standards at a level that are far outside of where you are now. And even if you're doing great, you know there's another level. You know, I used to think, Doug, remember back when you, like, there's kind of those those income thresholds back, you know, we're going back to the 80s here, right? So don't judge the numbers, but- 50,000 in a year was like, holy cow. And then it was a hundred in a year. Like, oh my gosh. Like I didn't even know what I would do with that money. Oh, you can find a very fast way to soak that money up. (laughs) Especially when you're young and not financially educated.
1: Yes, (laughs) And then it was
0: like 150, then it was 200. And then it's just like, you just keep raising your own bar. And anybody listening to this right now, you are that type of person. Now, you may be passively goal setting, you may kind of set some intention, New Year's resolution, it would be nice if, but if you study the patterns of everybody great in any endeavor, doesn't matter, political, acting, sports, business, sales, speaking, whatever, is the, the compelling future that, that pulls them towards it like a magnet. And when you have that compelling future, it's going to incentivize you spiritually and emotionally to seek out the information. Don't think you got to reinvent this thing. There, there isn't anything that you want to do that hasn't been done. And the odds are you can find it on YouTube. You can certainly find it on Amazon in a book. Google, of course, can find anything. And you know, what's interesting is you know, this question. What holds people back from becoming superstars? If it's true, Doug, that anything it is we want to do, we have access to the how-to on Google, right? You agree with me on that? I agree. So then it goes, you have to ask the next question. So why isn't everybody achieving at the pinnacle level of their desire? So, so it's, it's not even a, a fathomable thing to say, well, I don't know how. Okay, Google it. Yeah, and then yeah. YouTube it.
1: Uh, a lot of it comes back to self worth, self value, and being clear on our end points, right? So yeah, and 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 you know, if somebody feels they're not worthy of it, then they'll make that story up. As you know, Tony used to say that you know the story you're telling yourself is how you live your life, right? So they make that story up, saying, well, mm-hmm. you know, it's for this person, or that person, but I, I can tell, you know, the listeners, you know, my story. Um, you know, I didn't grow up with money. I, you know, I did work for my dad's business, but my dad built the business on his back and he made a living for, you know, 20 plus years while I was there, but he never really got wealthy. Um, And it was because he didn't understand what you're talking about, Gene, which is, you know, the consistently getting better. I'll challenge anybody in sales because I remember, you know, going from about $80,000 to $500,000 in commissions over about a four and a half year period. Holy and, cow. And this is how I did it. I set myself up and I said, you know what? I'm going to earn 10% more each year. And so then I had to figure out how to do that. So I had to go from $80,000, let us say, to 88000 you know, and then eighty-eight thousand. I had to add ten percent, so it didn't. It wasn't bad in the first couple of years. But what ended up happening was, because I studied on how to grow at ten percent minimum, I ended up going from eighty thousand to one hundred and ninety thousand. And so now I had to make up nineteen thousand dollars in the next year. So I had to go from one hundred and ninety thousand, and I went to I think it was three twenty or three fifty somewhere in that area. I'd have to look up the numbers. And so now it's like, wow! Now I got to grow by thirty-two thousand dollars this year, right? So then the next year uh, went over four hundred. Now it's like, my God, I got to add another forty grand. So then the next year, you know, instead of going from whatever it was, four fifty, you know, uh, no, I think it was four forty, I had to go to four eighty. I ended up at five hundred thousand. And you know, it was just through what you're saying, Gene. It's you know, setting in, in what I'm saying, setting out a truthful goal saying, you know what, I may not know how to do this, but that information is there. There are very few wow ideas in this world. There's a lot of good thinking, but you don't need wow ideas. You need the good thinking and stick to the basics and treat people the way they're supposed to be and constantly be prospecting and doing what you have to do because whether you work for yourself or work for a company, you're in a job. And that job is client acquisition if you're into sales and helping people through that process in a win-win fashion. So I'll challenge anybody. Just use the 10% rule and, you know, be truthful to it and you'll grow. There's no way you can't.
0: So good. Doug, what is the best way people can find you and start following and getting some of the gold you deliver? Man, this is so powerful.
1: Well, thanks. Um, You know, certainly they can go to businesssuccessfactors.com. Um, they can, uh, you know, go, they could send me an email directly at Doug at business Uh, and Gene, anybody who's selling, if they want to send me an email and, and just put in the, in the title, um, doing this for you, your audience, uh, you know, I want your sales and marketing checklist, let's say, right. Because I have a, a self-assessment that they can do on sales and or marketing, um, combined as this, anybody selling, which will reveal where some of the blind spots are for them. Uh, be, so, uh, and then, you know, they can find me on Doug Brown1234 at LinkedIn. Uh, I like that. Yeah, I tried to make it easy. <laughs> so, so, so I found this, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. It's it's actually there. Um, and if for whatever reason that doesn't come up, type in Doug Brown, Berkeley College of Music, because that comes up every time. Um, And uh, if they go to want the book, they can go to winwinsellingbook.com and it will direct them to that place to pick the book up.
0: Yep, it's easy to find. If you just Google or excuse me, go to Amazon and either put in Doug Brown, his book will come up or put in win-win selling, the book will come up. Friends, this has been an awesome episode. I think we intended to have a 30 minute episode and we went about an hour and a half. And if you've stuck around this long, uh, thumbs up to you, that's pretty killer because there's been some solid gold here. And remember if you get value out of these just you know take a screenshot post it on Instagram or Facebook I always look at that stuff tag me on it and send this to other people one of the best ways that you can you know satisfy what I don't know the moral obligation which is to help other people is you get good information share it you don't have to create information all the time sometimes you can be the conduit of great information Doug Brown is an absolute champion you know, I consider it a blessing that we met, gosh, 13 year, 14 years ago, Doug, about this time in uh, wow. New York, New York, in uh, Las Vegas. So Doug, blessings. Thank you so much. Listeners, go check Doug out. Have a great day, everybody.